How many were how many were here last week? How many heard the message last week, either here or online, right? So, uh, man, it was a tough message last week, right? It was kind of, we had to get into the nitty-gritty, right? We're going to get back into it in just a minute here. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, I pray as I preach this message that we would have ears to hear that our hearts would be open to your Holy Spirit, speaking to us, leading us, that we are not drawn or following our own opinions, but we are drawn to and following the Word of God. Lord, let us not rely on ourselves, but let us lean on you. Let all the words I speak be inspired by your Spirit, Let it not be David up here, but let your presence flow as I minister the word of the Lord. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So most weeks, and I don't know what people would say about this, but this is just kind of who I am. Most weeks after preaching a message, I go back and I watch the message. I listen to myself and I kind of basically do a review of myself. What uh, Was there anything I could have emphasized or made more clear? Was there any confusion in my delivery? Because I'm constantly or consistently wanting to make myself better. And so that doesn't happen by accident. There's no gift of preaching, right? It's practice and practice, and you do better, and you learn more. And, and so that's what I try to do. And so I listen to the message after last week, and I thought, man, I don't want to beat a dead horse, and I don't want to harp on any particular subject, but I want to make sure that there is clarity in what is preached from this pulpit. Amen? I spoke about compromise in the church, and specifically in regard to some Christian believers who celebrated a gay marriage in the community. And one of the things that I said was rather than celebrating with the person, it may have been better to pray that God would bless him. And what I want to make absolutely clear is a few things. Number one is this. God does not bless sin ever, period. Let me say that again. God does not bless sin ever, period. Psalm 5, 4 says this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. There can be no light and darkness mixed. They are separated. So God does not bless sin ever, period. You say, well, we're living together, and God blesses that. No, He doesn't. God does not bless sin. God blesses marriage. God blesses, God blesses that, but God does not bless sin ever. Well, you don't understand. I mean, they, they're really nice, and they love each other, and it doesn't matter what sex they are, that love is love. God does not bless sin ever. Period. We as a church have to have clarity on this subject. We have to have clarity because the Bible is very clear. On the subject, and you say, Well, Pastor David, I don't agree with that. Well, you're wrong. Period. How many can say amen? That we agree with the Word of God always. If our opinion comes in conflict with the Word of God, we set aside our opinion for the Word of the Lord. Always. God does not bless that which destroys us. The truth is this, what God does do, and this is what I meant, what, what I loved when we said, I pray that God would bless the, the man last week. What God does do is bless us with the opportunity to accept Christ and turn from sin. The Bible calls us to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. And the truth is that God hates sin and loves people. God hates sin and loves people. Rather than celebrate a sinful lifestyle, our hearts should break 
over the souls of those who have given themselves over to what God has clearly called evil. And we should minister to them with compassion and broken hearts. The second part of this has to do with my job as a pastor. I want to speak to you plainly today about me. I hope you know that I love you guys deeply, that I love this church deeply, and that my intent is never to harm, but to guide us towards righteousness. Amen? Sometimes, honestly, it involves hard truths that go against popular culture and belief and what's culturally acceptable. But my job is not to preach culture, it's to preach Christ. And my job is not to preach what's popular, my job is to preach what's biblical. And if I'm not doing my job, listen, the truth is, I'm not loving you as God has called me to love you. The other aspect of my job is to prepare you for what's coming. I believe there is persecution on the horizon. I believe that there is strong persecution to true Christianity that is on the horizon. And if we can't stand for what's biblical now, we have no hope of standing then. How many know right now we have it pretty easy? Right? There's not a whole, we're going to talk about persecution in America. There's not a lot happening right now. We still have a lot of freedoms, right? But I believe that persecution is coming. And if you can't stand for it when it's easy, how are you going to stand for it when it's difficult? As a pastor, what I saw last week, it broke my heart. It really did. And it deeply concerned me as to how we as Christians biblically respond to a demonic culture. How do we as Christians respond to a demonic culture? So when we talk about ecclesia, when we talk about the early church, when we talk, when we talk about what our foundations are, we can't forget that the majority of the early church fathers, they died in brutal and messed up ways. They were tortured and killed for their faith. One of the, uh, of the early apostles, only John died of natural causes of old age. Only John did. The rest were beheaded. They were crucified. They were filleted alive. They were clubbed to death. In Peter's case, tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to, be, to die in the same way as Jesus. Their sacrifice, their, their martyrdom was a testament to their faith and belief in who Christ is and that he is alive and well. Amen? Listen, if, if Christ wasn't alive, wasn't well, wasn't walking around with them for 40 days, do you really think they're going to their deaths? Well, yeah, I know I spent three years with this guy and I saw miracles and I saw healings, but now he's in a grave and, and, and what now? They're not going to their deaths for that guy, right? They're not going to their deaths for someone that's just stuck in the grave. But no, they saw him after the death on the cross. They saw him after the stone had been rolled away. For 40 days, they spoke with him. They spent time with him. And now that he's gone, they have a mission to teach people, to share with people, to testify of what Jesus did for them. And it will lead to their deaths. What if that is what is required of you? What if that is what is required of us? In Acts chapter 5, we saw what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. That was last week, right? And then just a short time later, the disciples are arrested in Jerusalem, and their only crime is preaching Jesus and people being healed. That's their only crime. 
In fact, the Bible says that people were being healed at times by their shadow coming across them. That is the anointing, amen? That's not them. That's just the Holy Spirit on them. How many want the Holy Spirit to be in and on you? Amen? I want people to be affected when I walk past them in the road. In the road. Why am I walking in the road? <laughs> on the sidewalk. You know what I mean. Listen, the truth is, when you preach Jesus and the truth of the Bible, you're going to make enemies. You're going to make enemies. The early church knew it, but they preached anyways because they were responding to a higher authority. In this church, we respect the rules of the land. We respect the, the, the leadership in our government, hopefully and prayerfully. We pray for the leadership in our government, hopefully and prayerfully, right? But we have a higher authority. The name of Jesus and the word of God. And when one tells us to go against that, we have a responsibility as believers to stand by the Word of God at any cost. To make a long, long story short, the disciples are arrested in Jerusalem. And while they're in prison, this amazing thing happens. An angel breaks them out. Have you ever seen prison break? An angel breaks them out of prison. And they go back immediately. They went to the temple and began to preach Jesus again. They got, they, they got arrested. They go to jail. They get broken out of jail. They don't go to get a hot meal and like a bath. They immediately go back to the church. They immediately go back to the temple and they start preaching Jesus again. The captain of the officers goes and he brings them before the high priest. And we pick up here in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. It says this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, saying, You're blaming us for Jesus' death. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Amen? How many can say, We must obey God rather than men? The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. Boy, they weren't, they weren't pulling punches, right? God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Notice that the response of Peter isn't filled with fear. It's filled with courage, right? It's filled with courage. He didn't beg forgiveness because he was offending them with Christ. Oh, please forgive me. I didn't mean to offend. He didn't water down the message because it was e for, for, to make it easier for them to handle. He says, listen, you hanged him on a tree. It's pretty strong language. He didn't water it down so that it would make it easier for them to handle. He said, we must obey God rather than men always. As Christians, we are called to obey God always. Who are we called to obey? When? Always. Who are we called to obey? How, how often? Always. In say, saying this, Peter causes a ruckus. Right? How many know sometimes it's good to cause a ruckus? How many ever caused a ruckus? I'm saying the word ruckus a lot. I've caused a ruckus. Uh, listen, the Bible tells us that when they heard Peter, when they heard him speak, they became enraged. They wanted to kill him. Now, I want to stop for a minute and think about that. So, Peter is simply preaching Christ. People are being healed, delivered, and saved. But the response is absolute hatred towards him. Towards the apostles. Towards the disciples. So there's a Pharisee. His name is Gamaliel. Say Gamaliel. He's a pretty smart guy. He gathers the leaders together and he tries to reason with them. 
And so he basically reminds them that there's been uprisings before. In fact, he gives two instances of these different uprisings that have taken place. These different uprisings, they, they happened. They had followers. Eventually, it went away. Guys, don't worry about it. That's what he's saying to these leaders. And then he says this, listen, after the leaders died, after the followers dissipated, life got back to normal. And so he breaks it all down in this way. If this is a plan of man, nothing's going to come of it. Little uprising, dissipates, back to normal, not a big deal. But if it is of God, nothing can overcome it. And we don't want to stand in the way of it. Gamaliel has some pretty wise wisdom. We wouldn't want to get in the way of God's plan, so let them go on their way, right? So he's this brilliant guy with a reasoned argument, and they listen to him. The Bible tells us that they beat the men. They didn't just let them go. They beat the men and then released them and again warned them, do not preach Jesus anywhere. So what do you think they did? Immediately, they leave and they listen to the angry people. And in order to not offend anyone, they keep their beliefs to themselves. Right? You sure? Maybe it's a different translation I have. What's going on here? Of course not, right? Listen, the point of this, Christianity was born out of the revolutionary understanding of who Jesus is. Christianity was born out of the revolutionary understanding of what it meant to follow his example in our lives. It was courageous. It was powerful. It was an act of rebellion against the established order. Why in the world do you think that it should be any less that way today? Christianity should be courageous, it should be powerful, and it should be an act of rebellion against the established order. Why? Because the established order is set up by this world's system. It is set up and not in our favor. And it's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And we can see it on the horizon. It's so close. It hasn't touched our shores, but a very little bit. I wonder how long until they try to cancel Jesus. The truth is, if your faith isn't courageous, if it's not powerful, then you may have missed the mark somewhere. The truth is, if you don't have Christ reigning in your heart and wanting to share Christ with those around you, if you are born of the Spirit, filled, uh, born of Christ, filled with the Spirit, empowered by His glory, and moving by His direction, you will be no less than revolutionary to those around you. You say, Pastor David, won't people get angry? Yep. Pastor David, will they get offended? Yep. Will they plot to destroy you? Yep. Are you called to love and minister to them God's grace and mercy and preach Christ to them anyway? Yep. The essence of revolutionary faith comes at a cost, always. That's why it's revolutionary. If there was no cost to it, you just go, eh. If there's no cost to it, if it doesn't affect you in any way, eh. It brings us to Acts chapter 6, and we are introduced to another man. His name is Stephen. The Bible describes him as someone who is full of grace and power. 
I like this. It says he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. But here's how we get there. Go back uh, one slide there. Here's how we get here. The church is growing in numbers. And the Greek believers notice that as the growth is happening, some things are falling by the wayside. Specifically, there's Greek widows who are suffering. And so they are being neglected, is what the Bible tells us. So the 12 disciples, they come together and they have a meeting with all the disciples that have been made so far. And here's what happens. Out of all the disciples that have been made so far, they pick seven. Pick seven men to serve the church in caring for these issues. So what they're doing here in Scripture is they're assigning the first deacons. Seven men to care for the issues that are happening inside the church. Now, the disciples are busy preaching the word, responding to their calling. And so the deacons are chosen to take care of issues in the church that need tending to besides the preaching of the word. So these Greek widows are being neglected. So the deacons, we're going to assign you. These are men of good character, men of faith, and we're going to assign you, and you're going to be part of helping take care of the widows. So one of the seven men that is chosen is Stephen. And so we see that he is a man full of grace and power, doing great signs and wonders among the people. And then we get to verse 8, or verse 9, sorry. It says, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and then we see it was of the Cyrenians, of the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they started disputing with Stephen. They started arguing with him. They rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Let me stop it there for just a minute. Don't go forward. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he is speaking. A lot of times people think that they're spouting the wisdom of God on Facebook. You should stop that. Not with the post and, oh, the Lord is good today. And, uh, but how many, how many ever get in a Facebook argument? You get in a Facebook debate. Anybody? Come on. A bunch of liars. What is going on here? You ever get into a Facebook debate and you just, I mean, you're typing something. How many ever just type something out? And you're like, I got, a, I got something to say to him. Type, 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 type. And then right before you send it, the Holy Spirit goes, no. How many have been there? Maybe it wasn't Facebook. Maybe, for, maybe it was a letter for those older people in the congregation. <laughs> You wrote an angry letter, then you had to rip it up. How many know when we engage people with Christ, we want to do so with the wisdom of the Spirit? Amen? We don't want to come at it just from our angle. We want to come at it from the Bible's angle. If we're not coming at it through the Spirit, we should just shut up. My mother, oh my gosh. I said, shut up. And she goes, we don't say shut up in this house. I said, since when? You've been telling me to shut up since I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Verse 11 says this, so they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They're setting him up now. It says, verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, in truth, those were false witnesses, but they were speaking the truth about what he was saying because he was preaching Christ. And he was saying that the temple is going to be destroyed. 
And Christ is going to rebuild it. So what they were saying was true. It's just they set up false witnesses to do it. Verse 15 says, And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I want to look at my son for a minute who has the face of an angel. Hmm. So do you, honey. It's all right. I can imagine that what they mean by that is they looked upon this man and his face was maybe somewhat glowing with the presence of God. Maybe there was a bit of a shine to it. I remember my grandmother who was a woman who could be described as filled with the Holy Spirit and power. And people would see her and just say, there's something different about you. She said she always had a ministry. She always felt like she had a ministry to forlorn and lonely people. And that's who she was called to minister to. And wherever she went, people said, man, there's just something about you. This 90-year-old woman that would just preach to people, and it was magnetic. As I got a little older, in my teen years, I didn't want to have much to do with her, to be honest. In my teen years, my, my you know, grade school, and that, I didn't want to go to grandma's house. I wanted to go to the other grandma that had video games or that had a, that had a lot of games and candy and, and all that stuff. By the way, if you're a grandma, have games and candy. But as I got older and I saw my grandma's heart, I remember going to her and having lunch with her and saying, Grandma, I want what you have. I want that burden that you have. And I prayed, God, let that mantle fall upon me. Let my heart be broken for those who are lost. And I would say, let our hearts be broken for those who are lost. The council saw that his face was like the face of an angel, probably a shine to it. So this man, Stephen, is set up. He is brought before the council. The witnesses are coming forward and they're, they're, they're basically coming as false witnesses. And the head of the council, the high priest, asks him in chapter 7, he says, are these things true? Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 1, he says, are these things so? Verse 2, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. Now, don't go to the next slide. Because if we were to read all the way from verse 2 uh, to verse 50, we would be here for a while. Okay, so Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 50. What we see is the sermon Stephen preaches to the council. And we're not going to go through every, every part of it today, but let me give you the Cliff Notes version. How many enjoyed Cliff Notes when you were in college or high school? How many of you guys still have Cliff Notes? Is that still a thing? Wow. How about Nintendo? Do you guys still have Nintendo? Is that still a thing? Yeah, okay. I feel old at times, Jenny. Cliff Notes. Nobody knows what, do you guys know what Cliff Notes are? You guys know what Cliff Notes are? Isabel, do you know what Cliff Notes are? No? Isabel is graduating today. Give her a hand. Avery already did graduate. Give him a hand. Next week, we're going to honor them and bless them. But, man, it's so weird that as we get older, the things that we just like everyday items and the younger people have no idea what you're talking about. What's email? <laughs> Stephen is speaking to the Jewish council. They have a specific history. How many know that the Jewish people have a specific history? Right? And they're very proud of that history. Stephen then goes through their own history and he brings up how they continually ignored God and his leadership. They, he, he brings up how his fathers longed for Egypt. How their fathers longed for Egypt even when God gave them Moses as a deliverer. 
He basically lays out the truth of their continual rejection of God. And this was not a good message, right? This was not like a, 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 a good feeling message. This was a somewhat hard message. But it was truth, and it was truth inspired by the Holy Spirit. And here's how he ends it, starting in verse 51. He ends this sermon in this way. He says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. That is an interesting way to end a sermon, Tim. You stiff-necked people, you stinking, obstinate people, you continually reject God just like your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Go to the next slide. You who received the law as delivered by angels and you did not keep it. That's bold. I'm telling you, he preaches with boldness, right? If you want to talk about speaking truth to power, Stephen is doing it right here. He is, an, he is an open rebellion to the system that has continually ignored God's leading and has now fully rejected Christ. And upon hearing this, the council is enraged. In fact, beyond enraged, they are homicidal. We see what happens in verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. How many have ever been so mad you ground your teeth? Just, are you kidding me? Michigan, you can't win this stupid football game. <laughs> have you ever been just so mad at something, just you're just grinding your teeth? Just When it talks about the, the gnashing of teeth, that's what the Bible's talking about. Just your, your, your jaw is so clenched. You're just gnashing your teeth together in anger, frustration. How many have ever been there? It says they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Go to the next slide. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57 says, But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed at him together. Now I want to pause here for a minute and ask you to consider how in the world this relates to the world that we live in. People that become enraged, people that would grind their teeth at you, people that would cry out with a loud voice and they would stop their ears and then rush you. Can we relate to anything that's happening today? Listen, we are no longer living in a world that responds we are living more and more in a world that reacts, and in many cases reacts with screaming and violence and tantrums. The truth is, I wanted to show you a video today. I couldn't show it because of the language. I mean, it wouldn't be appropriate to show it because of the language, but you can see people that are come, come at with reasonable truth. That they just scream. They go into tantrums. They stop up their ears. They don't want to hear it anymore. Why? Have you ever known somebody that just doesn't want to hear anything you have to say? I mean, you're speaking truth to them. You're speaking truth in love to them. And they just stop up their ears. They, they get angry. They get upset. I really believe the Holy Spirit in you is upsetting the demons in them. 
And what they need is deliverance. Listen, there is a demonic agenda taking people over. There really is a demonic agenda. And when you preach the gospel, you speak the truth, they will respond with clenched feast, fists and, and, and tight fists. Did I say that right? No. You know what I mean. Clenched teeth, tight fists. Last week, I said you're going to drink donuts and eat coffee. Not on the new carpet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and just like the people here in Stephen, when you preach the truth to people today, they will respond by crying out, by stopping their ears. They don't want to hear it anymore. It means there's no more reasoning, there's no more ministering, there's no more listening, and instead they are taken over by the demonic spirits that are active in their life. And for Stephen, it meant his death. Verse 58 says this, Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. In case you're not sure what stoning him means. They didn't just take a bunch of rocks and throw rocks at him. What they did was they took a man and they buried him about up to his chest where his arms were in the dirt and could not move or protect himself. They dug a hole. They put him in there. They filled it up. He couldn't move. And then they took big stones. Large softball size stones. And with anger... And frustration, powered by the demonic, they took the stones and they hurled them at his head. There was a movie that came out, we've talked about this before, years ago called The Stoning of Soraya M. It's a true story. And it showed and depicted exactly what happens. It was brutal. At a certain point, you black out. At a certain point, there's blood just gushing from your head. Your skull is caved in by the blows from the stones. The Bible says that they took his garments. The witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Go to the next verse. It says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus. I love this. He knows what's on the horizon. Come on. He's not praying for a miraculous escape. This is the essence of suffering. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Next slide. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's an interesting thing. In most every instance of stoning, biblically, they said they dug a hole, they put him in. Here it says he fell to his knees. And he fell asleep. Didn't have to feel a thing. The Lord just knew. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They murdered him for the gospel. He is known as the first martyr of the faith. And he certainly won't be the last. Even as he is dying, he is praying for those that are killing him. Think about that. Even as he is dying, he is praying for those who are killing him. He was a man filled with God. But even as Jesus is being crucified, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't think it's a stretch in any way to warn you that there are those who will hate you 
for your faith. There are those who will hate you. They will cry out with a loud voice. They will stop their ears and may even try to cause you physical harm or death. And I have to say that most professing American Christians have this perception that, oh, this could never happen to me. Most professing American Christians go, yeah, I mean, that happens elsewhere, but it's not here. It could never happen to me. And honestly, for most of the people that say that, I would say it's a true statement. Because the truth is that many, if not most, American professing Christians don't share their faith with anyone more than once a year. There was a poll done found only 37% of born-again, middle-income Christians have shared their faith at least once this year. Born-again, people that identify as Christ-following believers that don't share their faith with anybody but once a year. Only 37%. So the majority have no fears of angering or offending people with the truth of Christ because they simply aren't sharing the truth of Christ. Well, no, they're not going to come for them. How many know that's kind of sobering? That in the Christian church, people who love the Lord don't share their faith more than once a year. And the truth is this, I am hopeful, and in fact, extremely hopeful, that those statistics are not replicated by believers in this church. I really pray, in fact, I have been both, I want to say this clearly, I have been both humbled and proud as a pastor to hear the stories among our people who share their faith in Jesus Christ with those around them. I really have. I have been just so proud of a lot of you guys. My question for those who don't is simply this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Where is your urgency? Where is your conviction? You say, Pastor David, I would really like to, but I don't know how to. That's a possibility, right? I would encourage you to connect with people that do and then follow their example. Listen, we just had a class on evangelism that's on YouTube. Go watch the videos and then go do it. Amen? Right, Tim? Amen. Listen, let's wake up to the fact that as true believers, eventually we are going to be targeted. They will attempt to cancel Christ, but I let me share with you this. The very real truth that Jesus will never be canceled. We will never be silenced. Those who persecute us will face judgment, and those who are martyred for the faith will live in glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Before we leave this morning, I want us to have a clear understanding that as of right now, Of course, in America, we still enjoy all these freedoms, including preaching Christ in the open, just like we're doing this morning. But in case you aren't aware, there are Christians throughout the world being imprisoned, tortured, and even killed for their faith in Christ. It's been happening since Christ was crucified, and it's still happening now. Carol, would you shut the lights off? Mike, go ahead and play that video. While most of us live a life relatively free from persecution because of our faith, there are many who do not. For as long as Christianity has existed, there have been those persecuted because of it, even today. In order for us to know how persecution affects us today, we must know how it has manifested itself across history. 
Beginning around a year after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith. In fact, nearly all the Apostles paid the price of their life for their faith. 64 AD, the Roman Empire, led by Nero, began the first recorded systematic torturing and murder of Christians. This was the first time a governing body enacted the persecution of Christians. Around 100 years later, Christians were killed in mass quantities for refusing to renounce their faith. It was not uncommon at this time for Christians to be robbed, assaulted, or even stoned for their faith. 250 AD, all Christians were commanded to sacrifice to Roman gods or face immediate execution. The persecution continued until Constantine came to power in 300 AD and legalized Christianity. 717 AD, the Pact of Umar was enacted. While giving Christians certain rights, it brought a large list of restrictions in many countries. This pact forbade Christians from publicly displaying crosses and rebuilding churches after they were destroyed. 1300 AD, Tamerlane. A ruler at the time over Persia and Central Asia conducted massacres of Christians on a wide scale in Mesopotamia, Persia, Asia Minor, and Syria. 1600 AD, the Emperor of China banned Christianity for over a hundred years. 1850 AD, in Madagascar, the Queen prohibited the practicing of Christianity. It's estimated that over a hundred thousand died as a result. 1915 AD, Ottoman army troops enacted a large massacre on Christian populations in Anatolia, Persia, and northern Mesopotamia regions. 1917 AD, after a political change in Russia, tens of thousands of churches were destroyed or repurposed. This resulted in the murder of over 500,000 Orthodox Christians in the 20th century. Beginning in 1983, Christians in Sudan were under attack. Some estimates put the number of those martyred at over a million, with many more displaced. Present day, Christians are facing growing levels of persecution on the continents of Africa and Asia. There are many countries where being a Christian is punishable by death, several where it is punishable by significant time in prison, and even more where attempting to convert someone to Christianity is a crime. For as long as Christianity has existed, there have been those persecuted because of it. While Christianity can often seem like a safe choice to us, there are many who live where identifying with Christ means putting your life in severe danger. truth is this. We need Christians today who are strong in their faith. Amen. We need Christians today who are sure in their convictions. I believe God wants believers who will say this. I dare you to put me in prison. I will preach the same Jesus there that I preach here and watch the prisons get shaken up. I dare you to try and silence me. I will speak his name. I will shout his name even louder. I will preach the truth in love, but I will not compromise the word of God in order to be accepted by this world. As Christians, we are called to preach the truth in love, but not to compromise. This was the faith of the early church, and it needs to be the faith of the modern church. It's in these last verses concerning Stephen that we looked at and we were introduced to the man named Saul. Besides the salvation of Peter, the experience and salvation of Saul will have an incredibly substantial impact on the history of Christianity. I mean, one of the most impactful testimonies outside of Jesus and Peter is Saul, who becomes a man we know as Paul. And we will get to that next week. Please stand with me this morning. The truth is, around the world, The persecution is astounding. Watch videos of members of ISIS bringing Christians to a beach to have them massacred. You watch videos of those who are a part 
of the demonic agenda of Islam murdering Christians for their faith. I truly believe that we as Christian believers need to stop playing games. I truly believe that as our culture becomes more inclusive, as our, as our culture becomes more tolerant of demonic faiths and traditions, we as believers are going to face more and more and more persecution. And if we can't be strong now, how can we expect to be strong then? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for those who are facing real and true persecution in this world. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would strengthen them. That in the face of death, they would experience your glory. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared in our spirits for any persecution that may come our way. Lord, that we may stand strong in our convictions and that we would be compelled to share Jesus with those around us. Lord, I pray your spirit would convict us of sin in our life and convince us of your righteousness. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless them, and I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest as they are led by your presence in their lives to be a light to those around them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. I love you, I do. Thank you for saying you love me too. I felt a little abandoned there for a minute. No, I really, I love you guys. Uh, listen, uh, was it youth is tonight? We got things going on, announcements, men's coming up, all sorts of great things. So God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week.